at the ball game. Yo! Welcome, everybody, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, of course, InsiderBaseball.com. I'm Lou Blasi, along with Skylar Dombrowski from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com. And Sky, we're going to delve into the coaches meeting today, and we're going to bring it up because it's one of the tools that are available uh, during the uh, regular season to help you win championships. We work right from first pitch to last pitch at insideofbaseball.com to help you win championships. And the coaches meeting, we're going to focus on one aspect of it today, um, player pickups, suggested pickups, some players that are available that you might want to be interested in. This came out in the coaches meeting on Sunday. Uh, so you're getting it a little bit later than our subscribers. And Adam Hodge wrote the piece this week. Uh, his write-ups are there on these players. We're going to go, we're just going to pick the player names and kind of break them down ourselves. And you can go get to go see what Adam Hodge said. There are samples of this on the baseball blog of the coaches meeting. I think the national league side is on, uh, the, uh, baseball blog, which is free to non-subscribers. It's a great place to see some samples of our player breakdowns. There's some uh, strategy articles, analytics articles, all free to non-subscribers. Go, so go check it out. But uh, this is the key component of the season at this point, right? Chasing the waiver wire, uh, paying attention to news flow, watching playing time changes, injury changes, seeing what the teams are thinking they're going to be doing with these players and trying to take advantage on the waiver wire. Yeah, it really is because I find when you when you the waiver wire is is very useful and you are a big proponent of churning that bottom part of your roster. But I think even more important than it is for the remainder of the season, those first two or three weeks every single year, you can find critical components, championship winning players on the waiver wire. So I think that this is this is a good time of the year to focus on this particular aspect of the coaches meeting. Because in the first couple of weeks of the season, we see more cards. We see what the managers think of these players. We see what the managers intend with these players in terms of playing time, whether they're platoon, whether they're not platoon, especially in the bullpen, starting pitchers. We start to see their confidence in the players. We get a little insight into what the teams think of these players, and the teams see these guys every day. So they have a lot of insights on what these players are and how ready they are. So we're getting a lot of new information information here in the first days of the season. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we talked about, I think, uh, a week, week and a half ago, we talked about Cooper Hummel and how he was just off the radar, even in some of the deepest of leagues that I'm in. And all of a sudden, he's batting leadoff as a catcher eligible <laughs> player for Arizona. It's like, oh, wow, we got to get this guy. Yep. So yeah, you get to you get a little bit of a feeling of not just the managers. Uh, I mean, that's the most important thing, but also what the organizations think of these players and what value they place on uh, the coaches meeting, and again, Adam Hodge wrote it this week. If you want to go check it out at insideofbaseball.com, and uh, Phil does it some weeks, and it, it kind of moves around a little bit. It has waiver pickups, but it also has a lot of other useful information. It's a great summary of what we just talked about, things that we're finding out about the players, whether it be injuries or playing time situations or uh, news flow from the organizations and what they think of the player and what their uh, purposes are for the player going forward. Uh, injuries, news analysis, and it, do it in the field and do it in the starting rotation and in the bullpen and break it down. There's favorable and unfavorable schedules, which is great for your marginal hitters, the guys you have to make decisions about on a week-to-week basis in terms of uh, just weekly lineup changes. Uh, we rate the upcoming strength of schedule. It's part of our 14-day pitching rotations. We take a look at the upcoming pitchers and rate them, give them a numerical rating so that 
when you go to the site, if you're a subscriber to insideofbaseball.com, you can look up your lineup writer and load all your teams in. It's unlimited amount of teams, unlimited amount of leagues, and you can look at each player and see the starting pitchers that they're going to be facing this week and what their rating is for toughness of schedule going forward. Of course, you're going to play your star players, but sometimes there's some um, you know, there's some marginal choices in there, and the player writer will help you do that. Uh, two star pitchers, and of course. Uh, you know, pick up suggestions, which is what we're doing here. And that, let's start with Kyle Wright of Atlanta. And um, Adam says, zoned in less than half of ESPN leagues, despite making two strong starts to uh, the 2020 campaign. 26-year-old righty, and it has been two strong starts for him. And you know what we what we ask when we see a change in performance of a player is we ask why, right? What's going on? Well, I mean, maybe the fifth time's the charm here. Because, uh, <laughs> he's been a highly touted guy for the Braves for many years now. Uh, since he jumped out of A-ball, I guess that's five years ago at this point. Um, and he's been given cameos every single year since, ranging from six innings to 38 innings in the, in the 2020 COVID season. Uh, and every single time he's come up, he has shown significantly worse control than he ever showed at the minor leagues. Yeah. To the point where you're talking like six, seven, eight, nine walks per nine. Just completely abysmal control. And then this season, you know, he's, he's had two starts. Fine. Um, but 11 innings in a 0.82 walks per nine, which I, I assume is one walk. Um, you know, 12 and a quarter Ks per nine. So through two starts, he's been really good. Um, the quality of contact has been quite good. The exit velocity has been average, but the hard hit percentage and the barrel rate are outstanding. Uh, velocity's up, and he's changed his pit, pitch mix quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, he's almost scrapped the slider in favor of more change-ups and significantly more curveballs. And, you know, the chase and swing strike rate have moved up a ton, so I think it's a combination of better control and better pitch deployment. Uh, the schedule's been really easy. He's facing uh, he faced San Diego, which they're struggling offensively without Tatis at the top of the lineup to to boost things. And Cincinnati has been really oddly terrible. I mean, I know they traded away some of their players, but there's still a core of some offense there that's just not been performing. So really favorable schedule, but he looks pretty good anyway. I think he's absolutely worth a pickup, um, mostly because of the pedigree that was there before and the realization that Almost all of the problems stemmed from terrible control in his previous four attempts to pitch at the major league level. And if that control is better, everything is going to be better. I think we asked in our last pod, or maybe it was on the Sirius show. I don't know. We're on Sirius XM, Fantasy Sports Radio, 11 to 1, Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, oftentimes when we see walk issues, when we see control issues, we have to ask, is it skill or is it fear? And I think in this case, there was a lot of fear involved here because he didn't have those walk rates in the minor. That's a great point out by you. And so he has command skills. He has control skills. I just don't think he had a lot of faith in his fastball and his fastball had a minus you know, pitch value. You go pitch per 100 is minus value up until this year. And I think the addition of the curveball and the change helps keep hitters off his fastball a little bit. And I think he's gained a little bit of confidence, the ability to go in the zone a little bit more. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. You see this with a lot of young players come up that uh, might have really minor confidence issues. But the, one of the biggest differences between the minors and the majors is if you get in a hitter's count at the major league level, you are in big trouble as a pitcher. And all it takes is a little bit of understanding of that. And then the magnitude of the stress of getting strike one just becomes maybe insurmountable to some pitchers. 
And you look at the minors, like Kyle Wright is not an, an outstanding control guy. He's kind of an average control guy, mm-hmm. but he certainly wasn't a horrible control guy. Like guys that are walking four per nine in the minors, you assume that maybe they could have some six and seven walks per nine games in the majors because, you know, there is degradation of statistics at almost every level it, it, that when you, when you move up. So you, you kind of expect that, but you don't expect two and a half, two and three quarter, three walk per nine guys to go up to eight. So I really do think you're right. I think there was quite a bit of a lack of confidence there on Wright's part. And sometimes all it takes is just a couple successful starts. Maybe this easy schedule was really a benefit to him. And I could see it catapulting him to be sort of a number three, number four starter at the major league level. That's what his pedigree always was. Well, he clearly has made an approach change and you can see it in his pitch deployment. The swing strike rate is at a by far, by far a career high at 13.7. I mean, that's elite. I don't know if he can sustain that uh, chase rate 35%. I don't know if he can sustain that either. Many of the, it's hard to believe that hitters would be scheming for Kyle Wright at this point, but if they're seeing that curveball and that change up with higher frequency when they're sitting more fastball, maybe it's fooling them to a little bit. I'll be interested to see what happens when the book comes out a little bit more and, you know, hitters are a little bit more tuned in during the hitters meetings about his pitch deployment when they get out to the plate. So I'm a little bit worried about hitters adjusting back to the adjustment he's made. And some of these gains may be the result of, I didn't even know he had a curveball, that type of thing. With hitters, <laughs> hitters, hitters walking back to, you know, from the plate at that point. So I, obviously there's going to be some regression here. I don't think he sustains the 12 per nine, 12 K per nine or the 13.7 swinging strike rate. But if he gets up to a K per nine somewhere in there and maintains a healthy swinging strike rate, he can be that guy that you just talked about. And so the skill set is here. Let's see if it continues. But here's the strategy about pickups early in the season, right? Do you sit back and watch Kyle Wright at this point off your roster and see how it goes? Or do you put him on your roster and say, well, he's hot right now. I'm going to take a start or two. If it blows up, it blows up. I'll, try, I'll find somebody else. Well, I would lean toward the latter for sure. And I think uh, obviously all roster decisions are contingent upon what your roster is currently. So, right. you know, if you've got a loaded pitching staff, well, you know, maybe you throw them on your reserves. I think he's worth a pickup in almost all formats right now. I mean, those are two really good starts. Um, but Yeah, and they're know, showing all the things that in. we want to see. He hasn't given up a homer, he doesn't walk anybody, and he's striking out guys. So that's all we want to see, whether it's going to sustain. I don't think it sustains at that level, but if there are gains to be had there, he's not far from being a quality starting pitcher if he can keep that, you know, again, just get the strikeouts to one per nine. I mean, one uh, one per inning on nine per nine. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and cutting the walks. I mean, that was item A, and that looks like it's done. Plus a mile and a half, uh, mile an hour, 1.5 miles per hour velocity bump. Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff we look for, too. You know, cluing in at the, at the beginning of the season that something is different. Uh, Carlos Carrasco is the next guy up on our players to add list on our coaches meeting for this week that came out on Sunday. You can find a sample of it at insiderbaseball.com. If you want to check it out, Carlos Carrasco, 0.84 ERA over two starts and 10 innings pitched. He's pitched really well, uh, but there are some signs here. I mean, quality of contact wasn't great when they're hitting him. They're hitting him pretty good. Yeah, they are. The quality contact has been poor for a little while now. And, you know, the velocity keeps kind of dripping a little bit. He's down almost three miles an hour from where he was seven or eight years ago, which you sort of expect that stuff. But when you start to see the quality of contact numbers move sort of in conjunction with it, uh, it's time to to be a little bit concerned. Um, You know, he's 
he had a very easy schedule between uh, he he played uh, at Washington and home against Arizona. Mm-hmm. And between those two teams, they might have five or six major league hitters of the 18. Right. So it's really everything kind of played out to Carrasco's benefit at a maximum level so far. And he's taken advantage of it. But for those two teams to have made the kind of contact that they have through two starts, I'm not running out to grab Carlos Carrasco. I think that he could be a league average starter, maybe even a little bit better than that. But he's not somebody that I think has all of a sudden rediscovered the fountain of youth there. No, 100% left on base percentage, which is something to be leery of. He has given up a homer in there. And most basically, if you look at the quality of contact stats, which are 50% hard hit rate, 12.5% barrel rate, 91.2 mile an hour exit velocity, launch angle is 17.7, that doesn't add up to the 174 Babbitt he's carrying right now. He's been very, very lucky with balls put in play. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing to be concerned about, obviously, is the age. He's 35, and... He pitched from 2019 to 2021. So three seasons, he pitched about 200 innings. So, you know, he's he's going to run up against some kind of fatigue sooner rather than later this season. He hasn't thrown above 80 innings since 2018. And you can add him as part of that and, again, pick starts here and there. I'm not going all in on him at this point because, again, I just don't think it's sustainable in the strength of schedule. He's had some, his ex-fips have been good, but he's given up some runs. He's given up some homers in there. He's just kind of volatile. If you pick him up in these starts against some of these weaker opponents, you might be able to make something out of him. But I'd rather let somebody else spend their fab on him this time around. Absolutely. And the last four seasons, since the injury issues have started, those barrel percentages are pretty scary. They range between good and elite against him. So I just think that there are a lot of red flags here. And the fact that he's only faced two of the weakest offenses in the league gives me a lot of pause. How many innings can he realistically go this year, too, by the way? 120, maybe. Yeah. I think that's optimistic. 2021. So he had uh, between several levels. He had 130, 141 minor league and major league uh, last year. So. He could stretch it out there, but I'm not. I'm not buying in again. If you, you're going to have to pay a premium for this week based on the uh, two starts that he started out the season with, and I'm not ready to pay up for him. Yep, I'm in agreement. All right, Mackenzie Gore is on that list as well. Mackenzie Gore is someone who seems like we've been waiting on him forever. He's only 23 years old. Seems like he's 33. <laughs> really does. <laughs> he's got one start under his belt. Not a lot of punch out ability there, and again, quality of contact wasn't great. Uh, are we buying in on Mackenzie Gore? Well, uh, you know, when guys are top prospects and you watch their time in the minor leagues and, and they perform rather well, which he has, um, you know, I think there's reason to be excited. There's reason to want to get out ahead of the curve and grab a guy and just kind of pluck him down there and sit and rust on your laurels and be proud of yourself for beating everybody else. I'm not sure Mackenzie Gore has more than his next start in the rotation because Blake Snell's going to be back. Yep. Nick Martinez, everybody thinks he's just a rotation placeholder, but I'm telling you, he looks different after coming back from Japan. He went to the driveline online school during COVID, and he's come back with different stuff. You know, He is a different pitcher than the pitch-to-contact garbage guy that we remember from Texas. So I really feel like the Padres are prepared to go with Nick Martinez as their fifth and not Mackenzie Gore. Let him get some more time in the minors because really in the upper minors, 
Gore has thrown a total of about 50 innings, 55 innings. And then you count his five innings in the majors this year. So he's thrown 60 innings above A ball. And he hasn't been particularly impressive either. It's no, not like those were clean innings are good innings. Exactly. He's been he's been flashing good, but there's also some some wacky control stuff that comes from time to time. And he could use some more seasoning. He's only 23. It's not like he's one of these guys that, you know, you miss the COVID year and all of a sudden you blink and he's 25. He's still young. Uh, I don't think they have a problem with at least leaving him down in the minors till the midseason. So, you know, I, I unless Martinez blows up or somebody else gets hurt, I feel like Gore is probably heading back to the minors maybe by this weekend. So I, I, I wouldn't run out and grab him unless it's a dynasty league where he really should be owned already. Yeah. Yeah, because of, because of the pedigree and, and the ceiling in the long term. But I don't think 2022 is the breakout year for Mackenzie Gore. I, I think he has a lot to do in the minors still. And I think the Padres aren't in a rush. They have some pitching and they're a, a contending team. They're not going to have to rush this guy up here. So while he may see some spot starts and stretching out, helping to stretch out the rotation or serving for injuries and things like that, I think their plan for him is to spend a considerable m- amount of this time in AAA because he needs time in AAA. He still has stuff to do. Yeah, he's not a fully finished product just yet. So if I had to guess, I actually kind of hope that he doesn't pitch a lot this year and isn't fantastic because that'll keep the price down on him next spring where I think 2023 could be the breakout year for Mackenzie Gore. All right, Jesus Lozada was uh, talked about a lot in week number one and uh, had a very good first start to the season. Things have calmed down a little bit for him after the start against St. Louis. He gave up four runs and 4.1 innings pitched here. Uh, So that's going to take some of the price, some of the premium off him. I'm still not off him, though. I kind of like what I see so far. I like it as well, and I think, again, you when you don't, if you don't already own a player, you kind of like to see the start that we saw against St. Louis where he was a little sketchy. Um, I think that'll, you know, you hopefully keep the value down on him in, for fab purposes and maybe keep people off the waiver wire looking for him. But, you know, I still saw positives in that start as well. The thing with Lazardo has been control for the last couple of years. It's just, he's walking about a guy every two innings, which it's almost prohibitive in terms of success to be at that level of control. And in the start against St. Louis, yeah, he got knocked around a little bit. Uh, The quality contact has been poor, but he threw 17 of 22 first pitch strikes in in the game. And I think that for me, getting strike one for Luzardo, because he does miss bats. So if he can get ahead, I think it's critical for him. And I really, I do think he's going to have a very good year. I love the guy's stuff. He gets a little slider happy at times, but I think this kid is a very, very high quality pitcher. And that's a great park for him to be in because awful quality of contact is somewhat muted there. So I'm, I'm excited for him. And I, again, I like kind of seeing the, the scuffle to keep the price down on him. Yeah, he didn't give he didn't give up a homer. He hasn't given up a homer yet. That's a big thing for him. And he was giving up homers even in Oakland. So yeah, the ballpark's going to help him. I think that's one of the things that I like about him most at this point. He did walk some guys and he gave up seven hits. So there's a lot to be, you know, have raise your eyebrows uh, about in that St. Louis start. But I, I kind of see it as a learning curve start. I think so. Yeah. And the velocity stayed up, which is almost a two mile an hour gain from last year. So, you know, you, you'll see the bat missing. You're seeing the chase rate. Everything looks good. The underlying stuff looks good through two starts. So I am optimistic here. 
And again, it's a question of you're going to see how, do you want to see how this plays out with him in the free agent pool, which he's, you know, if he survived the free agent pool in your league last week, might still be hanging around another week, but I kind of like to see how this plays out with him on my roster. Yes, I would be, I would much prefer having him than watching him from afar. <laughs> uh, Connor Joe, uh, the Colorado Rockies on this list as well. Uh, he's at uh, 43 at bats, hitting 349 with a pair of homers so far. Yeah, and he's batting leadoff too. So, you know, leadoff batter in Colorado better attract some interest. I don't know how much of this is going to be something that can last, though. First of all, he's 29. And Colorado, I mean, (laughs) yes, the statistics are boosted, but they have not exactly been a wealth of offense the last few years. Right. They pretty much could use any hitter that comes along. So the fact that they were so hesitant to bring him up over the last, well, mostly just last year. um, And, you know, he played 63 games. So you'd think that there would have been a little more impetus to get him in there uh, if he were that talented. He's a he's much better contact hitter than for power. The park is what will play up the power. But I still don't think he's much more than a 20 to 25 homer bat at best. There's not a lot of speed, but the contact will play. I think he'll be a really solid player when he's in Colorado. I'm not sure how much he's going to provide on the road. And when you look at the stat line, He's had nine home games and two road games to this point. So that in itself is probably pushing the stat line up a little more than it deserves. Um, does have good plate discipline. And again, the contact skills are good. So I do think he's worth a pickup, but you got to temper your expectations. He's not suddenly going to be like the second coming of Dante Bichette or something. Yeah, but this is a situation early in the season here. And with the waiver period in general, I think too many people emphasize that I'm picking up a player that I'm going to have for the rest of the year, or I'm dropping a player that I'm not going to use for the rest of the year. This is uh, the waiver period is stopgap. You got to think of it in stopgap terms. And if the guy turns out to be the type of player who's going to help your roster for the rest of the year and you roster him for the rest of the year after picking him up in week two, Congratulations. That's great. doesn't normally happen. You have to get out of that mentality of, I, I need kind of, what is he going to do for the rest of the year? You know what? I'm more interested in what he's going to do for the next month. Yeah. Yep. And he's, he, I think he's an average kind of Colorado bat, which means you play him at home and you probably don't play him that much when he, when they're on a road week. Did you discounted the, the way you flipped off? Well, he's probably a 20, 25 homer guy. That's pretty good. Especially at the price you're getting out of him at this, getting him at at this point, it's pretty good. But if 15 to 18 of those homers come at home and five to seven yep. of them come on the road, that's a that's a platoon guy. You know, that's a guy you swap in and out of your lineup. He's not a mainstay. And you're right. You made a very good point about what is he going to do for the next two weeks, four weeks. You're not looking at him for the remainder of the season, and I don't think you should. I mean, what 10 to 20 percent of your waiver wire pickups you might end up holding longer than a month, right? That that'd be my guess. Yeah, so you've got to take that mentality that this, yeah. this is not a permanent pickup. I mean, you you get lucky and you get some sometimes, but that's not what you're going for here. But that's the thing is it's that's the lucky ones. That's not what your expectation should be, and I think that's a great point. You're looking if you're if you're traveling on the waiver wire for more than just browsing like Amazon shopping, <laughs> um, then you have a short term need, and you need to focus on fixing it in a short term capacity. If you get lucky and get it in a long-term capacity, well, that's great, but that shouldn't be the driver, trying to find the guy that's going to be the best over the next five months. Oh, I'm just shopping all the time. I'm just shopping and shopping and shopping. <laughs> I look every other day probably <laughs> for all my leagues. Yeah, and I'm looking at the same players every other day for as long as it goes because 
I don't know. You just got to stay on top of it because this is important. And again, like for example, right now on my house league team, the offense is sputtering a little bit. I've got some great hitters. I wouldn't mind bringing a guy in who's a little bit hot and playing him because guys like CJ Cron are carrying me at this point. And uh, you know, with the rest of the offense, the guys that I normally depend on struggling a little bit, if I could get a guy in that would give me three weeks of, of hot offense, I'd be happy to have him at this point. It's just a matter of keeping that flex spot on your roster and being able to move guys in and out. And I don't need him for the rest of the year. Just, you know, get hot for me for a little while or stay hot for me for a little while. Exactly. Well, Crone, he could he could stay hot the whole year. He's yep. a legitimately good hitter and had somewhat of a disappointing season in his first year in Colorado. So I'm not too surprised to see this going on, to be honest. Pay a little bit more attention to Connor Joe if you're in an OBP league. The guy will take walks. He's shown a history yep. of taking walks through the minors. So that's going to help in, in terms of his contribution in that regard as well, uh, which makes him in OBP leagues. Uh, OBP leagues are a lot more volatile too. So you like those guys who are going to help you on a fairly consistent basis. And that plate approach, the ability to take a walk is something that's fairly consistent with the player. It usually doesn't, he's not walking one week and not walking the next week. That's usually a pretty consistent skill set. Yeah. I think that's probably the most consistent skill set. When guys lose everything else, they usually still walk. So I think you're, that's a really good point. And OB, OBP-based leagues tend to have a completely different hierarchy than your standard formats anyway. All right. So uh, last week on the Sirius show, and this is exactly what I was talking about, where my house league team, the offense is struggling a little bit. Let's bring a hitter on who's hot. And if he stays hot, that's fine. If he doesn't, if he just gives me a couple weeks, that'll be fine until my guys catch up and get, get going a little bit. My more uh, core guys get going a little bit. Jesus Sanchez, we talked about on the show. I picked him up, put him in the lineup. He's off to a hot start. And I want to see what happens. I want to see how this plays out with him on my roster right now. Yeah, I think you do. You know, he's got the proverbial light tower power. He's the, the contact issues were always the thing with him. And it's funny because the contact has progressed quite well. Barrel rate's great. The hard hit rate is great. But there's quite a bit of soft contact in there, 22.6%, and an exit velocity that is barely above average. But, you know, the slash line looks fantastic, 359, 375, 641. You want to talk about OBP-based leagues, uh, this guy doesn't walk. He, he, He wants to swing the bat. He's swinging at 53% uh, this year, a little bit over 50% even last year. Uh, But the swing strike rate is not that bad, 13%, a little bit above average. But uh, the contact issues that were pretty prevalent in the minor leagues, are they've uh, they've improved. You know, he's probably just below average at this point contact-wise. So I think that'll probably keep the batting average a little bit less of an issue than I thought that it was going to be. Um, I like the kid. I would love him in a, in a better park, but you know, I like him in Miami. I think he's been hot right now, like Lou said, so he's certainly worth a pickup right now. Uh, but that 414 Babbitt, uh, that's not lasting. I, yeah, but I want to see him get a little bit more comfortable with the Marlins because his profile right now in the majors shows, shows a young hitter in the majors because his fly ball rate has dipped considerably. His pull rate has dipped considerably. Um, he's a pretty good contact hitter, so I'm not saying he's being less aggressive because he's being fairly aggressive at the major league level. But once he gets more settled in, I think that pull and fly ball rate comes up. That power starts to play up a little better. And uh, I just don't think he's been a power guy throughout the minors, and it's just going to be a matter. He's going to have natural power. He's just going to feel comfortable enough to just hit the ball and see what happens. 
Yep. And you look at the ground ball rates, even in the minors, they're often above 50%. So he's he's a guy that really needs to get needs to get comfortable, like you say, and start elevating the ball and getting back to a swing that's a little more conducive to his frame. 6'3, 220. He's a big kid already at 24. He needs to not be hitting the ball on the ground. He's not the fastest sort. Yeah, he's got to, you know, he's got to stop thinking a little bit. I think it's just got to get more comfortable and just, you know, see the ball and hit the ball and whatever happens, happens. I think he's uh, being more contact-centric now. I think that's, you know, you could see the pull percentage is only 29%. That's the guy who's waiting on the pitch a little bit and just I got to put the ball in play. Yep, yep. All right, Tommy Pham. Uh, Tommy Pham is a guy that I've always loved and I let him up in terms of a keeper. I mean, he's a 2020 talent uh, a legitimate 2020 talent. He's done it a couple of times. I let him go this year, but I picked him up on waivers and it just hasn't been a great start for him. But this is one of these situations. I think we talked about it a couple of times this weekend on Sirius, where you got guys who just get off to bad starts, gets in their head a little bit, but you get that little spark in there. You have a good, you hit a ball. Well, you have a key homer or a key RBI or uh, just have a good day at the plate. And that tends to heal all wounds. Yeah, you know, maybe it was just coming back to uh, San Diego where yeah, maybe. he had two pretty bad seasons that, as far as I can tell, were really plagued by bad luck. You know, he this is a guy, he's got every skill that you want him to have. He understands what is a ball, what is a strike. He makes excellent contact. The quality of contact is great, yet he's had two horrible seasons the last few years. And he's been shorted, according to StatCast data, he's been shorted between 30 and 50 points of batting average and by 60 to 140 points of slugging over the past two seasons. So here we are this year again, and yeah, I know it's really small sample size at this point, but his StatCast expected slugging is 576, and he's slugging 353 again. So this is five years in a row that he's kind of suffered from what you would consider to be bad luck. Um, But, you know, he comes back to San Diego, homers in each of the first two games of the series, the second of which was against Joe Musgrove, which is no small feat, really. Which is why Um, I wasn't in my lineup that night. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I played him in DFS the day before, but I didn't play him yesterday. And I'm thinking, man, I should have because you can see it coming. You know, with with the way that he hits the ball, every single measure that we look at, swing strike percentage, chase rate, uh, walk rate, Expected uh, expected slugging, expected average, exit velocity, barrel percentage, hard hit percentage. Everything we look at that is not a raw stat that you score by is great. Yep. So, wh- I mean, sooner or later, this stuff has to even out, right? You would I think. I know he's 34, but geez. Yeah, we know his plate approach is great. His quality of contact has been exceptional. His average exit velocity has been 93 miles an hour this year. His career, and that's not an outlier. His career is 91. That's just a small sample. His career is 91.3. He had a full season. Uh, not a full season. It was only uh, 109 at-bats, but he had a 92.8 exit velocity there as well. So he's a high exit velocity guy. He's a high barrel rate guy. He hits the ball hard with a high percentage. He had a 50 that same season in 2020. He had a 50% hard hit percentage. Quality of contact is there. And still, right now, 48% and 93-mile-an-hour exit velocity. He's got a 120 BABIP to show for it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the lowest hard hit percentage of this guy's career is 43.5%. Yeah. The lowest. Like he hits the ball hard and he draws walks. He has above average speed. Like you said, he was a 2020 guy a couple times. I mean, he's probably good for 10 to 15 steals at a minimum. So if he just puts up the batting average that he definitely should be putting up, according to how he hits the ball, 
He's going to help you in every single category. And let's not forget that he's been playing in some pretty pitcher-centric parks. Yep. And now he's going to the second or third best hitting park in the major leagues in Cincinnati. When this weather warms up, all the fly balls that he hits, I could easily see him stunning people and hitting 25 to 30 homers this year if he plays every day. So that change of scenery and just the ability to just that, just getting a little hot and getting a little confidence and that different approach at the plate for him because He's been he's been seeing quite a bit of headwinds here. He's actually hit the ball pretty well. If you're not him, you don't understand, which is why his price was so low and why he's still available on waiver wires. If you're not him, you don't understand how well he's played, but the result stats haven't shown it so far. Yeah, definitely true. And it's been the case for a couple of years now. So people have sort of written him off, and I don't get it. If you look at anything but the raw stats, he looks like a great player. Seems every time we talk about uh, waiver claims and picking up players, Tyler Naquin's uh, name comes up. <laughs> Seems like all the time he's perennial here, perennially here, and in front of us. Why do we pick him up this time? Yeah, isn't that the truth? Though? I mean, yeah. is there a guy that is on the wire more frequently for a decent player than no. Tyler Naquin? No. And I think a lot of it is the fact that he truly is a platoon player. He's the good side of a platoon player, but he's a platoon guy. So you know, he just disappears from the parlance for a while when they face a bunch of left-handed pitching. And I really feel like that's the issue. He vanishes from box scores for five days out of seven and people cut him. Yep. 511 at bats is the most he's accumulated in a single season. Yep. So he is a classic guy where you want to use our, our uh, two week pitching matchups where you want to look and see, all right, well, if Cincinnati is facing any more than three or four lefties in a two week period, it's time to get rid of Naken. But if they're not, if it's a number that's less than that, you want to get him in because he's a great hitter. He's really a very good hitter. You can almost play it that way on the waiver claim wire too, depending, I mean, obviously with a fab budget, that gets a little bit difficult, but he always seems to be out there. It just always seems to be out there. So you can pick him up for a big week where he's uh, facing left-handers or, or, uh, facing right-handers, or you can just drop him for a week that is not a favorable schedule for him. Yeah, I think that's the way you need to play it with him because he really is just not worth having on most rosters when they're facing 50% left-handed pitching. He's just not going to play half the time. But, you know, he's he's a chase guy. Yeah. Uh, the contact is average to slightly below, but the quality of contact is generally very good. Um, and he's a, he's a pretty unique player because most... Most guys that pull as much as he does are high fly ball guys. He's not, he's a high line drive guy. So that keeps the Babips pretty good where most guys we see with that kind of pull percentage have fairly low Babips. So he did that one year, the COVID year, every other year of his career, he's pretty much had a really good Babip because he hits so many line drives. He's, he's just a very solid hitter. Doesn't like to walk a ton, but he will if he has to. Uh, doesn't have a lot of speed, but he has power and he has enough contact ability to give you an average that'll be at least a slight helper most of the time. So I'm just I think his quality of contact from last year, 41.6% hard hit, 10.4 barrel rate, 89.8 exit velocity, 9.6 launch angle. That's a pretty good player. There's some players who have regular playing time in your league uh, that were drafted much higher that don't have that type of quality of contact stats. Yeah, I mean, it's just the playing time. That's the thing. And he really, he plays a little against left-handed pitching, and he just shouldn't, really. <laughs> and that, that depresses the numbers by a little bit. Like, I guarantee you his exit velocity is over 90 against right-handed pitching. 
uh, Josiah, uh, Josiah Grave for the Washington Nationals. Three starts so far with a 314 ERA. His XFIP is 363, so he's pitching pretty well uh, where he's supposed to. Walks some guys and has given up some homers, but how interesting is he to you at this point? Well, Josiah Gray went to college here locally, so I've seen him a few times. He's he's a really talented guy. Um, he His control, like we talked about this earlier, um, he looks a little bit afraid. Uh, because in the minor leagues, his control was really quite good. It went from between excellent and slightly above average, I would say. And he just didn't allow home runs. He didn't allow home runs in college. He didn't allow home runs all the way up through double A. He didn't allow home runs. And all of a sudden, he pitches in triple A in the PCL, and he allows a few homers. It's like, whoa, this yep. is different. So now, same deal at the major league level. Eight through 85 innings, you know, he's allowed 21 homers, which is an alarming level. Um, but you know, there is a large step from double A to the majors. So I think he's kind of figuring out how to manage that. And he's been nibbling more than he has good control. He doesn't need to walk people, but he's, there's a little bit of fear in there. Um, I think you'll see that dissipate as this year goes on. I think he'll mature into probably a number three type of a starter. Uh, he does miss bats. It's been, you know, two starts. It hasn't been great so far this year. Uh, 10.5% swing strike rate, 25.5% chase rate. Those numbers are a little bit below average in this day and age. Um, but, you know, the, the stuff has taken a little bit of step back. So I I am a little bit concerned. He's lost a mile and a half on the fastball from last year. Um, it just doesn't look quite 100% to me. Yeah, so when, I don't, I don't when, know if that's the preseason conditioning or what. When there are walk, uh, when there are walk issues, usually you look at is it fear or is it control issues, and then you look at the minor league stats and you see he's got a he's got a modicum of control. He shouldn't be walking as many guys as he does. I'm looking at his first pitch strike so far this year, fifty five percent. You've got a young kid with ninety three, ninety four, throwing ninety three, ninety four, and walking some guys, and you're starting out the batters forty five percent of the time with ball one. That's not a good recipe. No, no it's a prescription for disaster. And the, I mean, last year, I think it was a little bit of fear this year. It could be a combination of things because the stuff has degraded to the point where, I mean, you look at what's happened with the, uh, not just the velocity, but with the chase rate and the swing strike rate down 10% and down three and a half percent. Yes. Two starts could be anything, but the velocity worries me because that has nothing to do with the opponent. So I don't know. He's been much better in, in uh, starts two and three than he was in start one against the Mets. So there's a little bit of reason for optimism, but you know, the ground ball percentages are so low. This is kind of a mixed bag here. I like gray, but I am concerned. Yeah. Just tread cautiously. Right. And yeah. the other, the other part of this equation in waivers, and you talked about one of the parts of the equation is what is it going to cost you on your roster to roster this guy? The other thing is what else is available? And we've talked about several of the starters who are probably available who would be better choices at this point than, than Gray is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's a guy in deeper leagues. I definitely would want him on a roster, um, especially as good as he has looked the last couple of starts relative to the first one. Um, but there's still enough concern here with the velocity being down overall that in standard formats, I probably would leave him on the wire. 
Uh, we're looking at the coaches meeting, which is uh, one of our features at Fantastics and Inside of Baseball.com for our subscribers in season. Uh, news and notes on players in, in the field, in the starting rotation, in the bullpen, favorable and unfavorable schedules, schedules for your hitters, two start starters and streaming starters. Get you all set up for next week. It comes out on Sunday and it gets you all set up for uh, weekly transactions and those types of leagues. So you have all the information you need to make your claims, get your lineup set for the upcoming week. We're focusing on pickup suggestions from this week's article by Adam Hodge. We'll switch over to the American League at this point. Go to the Guardians. Miles Straw is another guy who always seems to be on the pile here when we're looking at waivers. And it's the same question that we have when we're trying to value him for the draft. Uh, yeah, he's going to steal me some bases. Is he going to do anything else for me? Well, that's I'm amazed that Miles Straw sits on the wire because he's basically an automatic 30-steal guy because he played – about as badly as a player with his skill set could play last year, starting almost every game. And he stole 30 bases and scored 86 runs on a bad offense. Yeah. So, and he hit 271. So that's and, a Yeah, gave you a plus batting average too, yeah. Exactly. He is clearly a three-category player. Clearly three-plus categories. Yes, he'll give you basically nothing in homers and RBIs. I mean, as close to nothing as you'll get from a starter. But, man... I see 50 stolen base upside with this guy. He's got the highest speed scores I've ever seen. He was over a nine this year so far. And lest you think that's accidental, he was an 8.8 .8 in 2019. Mm -hmm. The guy, those are the highest scores I've ever seen. So if he doesn't, I mean, if he continues to get on base at an over 400 clip, which with his chase rate and his contact ability, I think it is very, very possible. He'll steal 50 bases. He's that fast. So wow. if he's going to steal 50 bases, he's going to score a hundred runs. He's going to, he'll be batting probably 300 if he gets on base at 400. Uh, this kid is a very valuable player. I don't understand what people are doing, leaving him on the wire. Yeah. Especially people who have a particularly elite shortstop or they have some power in the infield and can afford the, I think people are reticent to give uh, an outfield slot to a no power player. And that's what that's what Miles is. But mm -hmm. sometimes that reluctance is overplayed a little bit. And he's also a good OPP guy. He takes some walks on top of contributing and batting average. So he is a three-column guy. It's just not the two columns that you that come easily to you. And it's giving up an outfield slot. And I think people are reluctant to that. In daily trend, he's got to be on your rosters in daily transactions. He's just got to be, especially week to week, you know, oh, head yeah. to head, something like that. He's got to be there. Yeah, th there's no question about it. I like I said. Last year was about as badly as I can conceive of Miles Straw performing. And he gave you 86 runs, 30 steals, and a 271 average. Yeah, so well. he helped you. He helped you a little in one category, quite a bit in a second, and a ton in a third. Why would you not take that? At any time, you're going to take a guy. You pair him with one other stolen base guy, and you probably won the stolen base category. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And what are the Guardians going to do if, if he <laughs> plays poorly? There's no pressure on him. Exactly. There are no other options there. The cupboard is bare. I know it feels like I'm picking on the Guardians again, but I'm Every not. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not picking on the Guardians. It's just the truth. <laughs> it's not criticism. It's narrative. <laughs> just all there is. It's true. Yeah. So why is he hanging around? He's a, he's a useful piece and contributing in runs, contributing in stolen bases in a major way. He's a game changer in a major way on stolen bases. And he'll give you plus batting average, plus OBP. And yeah, you're not going to get homers or RBIs. But if you've constructed your roster well and you got lucky in the infield or maybe you got lucky at catcher he's a guy you should at least have in, in the toolbox he's he, it's it's hard to believe a, t a league could be so shallow that miles straw shouldn't be a part of somebody's roster 
if you're if you're scoring stolen bases, Miles Straw has to be Miles Straw has to be on your roster. I mean, if if they're of any value in your league, he's got to be there. All right, this is where it gets fun because we get to talk about a Yankee here, Nesta Cortez. I know you wanted to get to him today, and he's had two very good starts. Uh, two very good starts to begin the season. Is it real? Is it is supported? What do you think about Nesta Cortez? And you, you're the Yankees guy, so you, you're the boots on the ground for us. So tell us about him. Well, amazingly, I did not watch his first start. I think it's the only game I've missed so far this year. But I watched his second start. I watched every pitch. And I'm sort of befuddled. Uh, he's extremely deceptive. But in a day where everyone and their mother throws 95, and probably some mothers are actually included there. I'm not being facetious. <laughs> um, you know, everyone's got stuff. Everyone's got stuff. And with Cortez, Cortez was a guy who didn't even top out at 90 in 2018, 2019, 2020. Right. You know, he's he was a sub-90 VLO guy, and those people don't exist anymore unless they're Kyle Hendricks. The stuff has ticked up a lot. You know, he's, he's up, he touches 91, 92 now frequently, and he is a kitchen sink guy. You know, these kind of pitchers don't really exist anymore. You don't see these guys, you Darvish, despite his velocity, is sort of a kitchen sink guy. He's got about five or six pitches. Yeah. Cortez is the same way. I know Fangraphs only shows him with three primary pitches and a kind of a waste changeup that he uses, but I'm going to tell you there's like eight pitches in there. There's all kinds of little different wrinkles and wiggles that he uses. He is extremely deceptive, and I watched, yes, it's Baltimore, but Baltimore is batting eight right-handed guys. So these are all opposite-hand guys, and they these pitches looked hittable to me. Hmm. And I can't see the ball when it goes over like 80, but they all looked hittable. And these guys had no idea what was coming. They, they just, they were frozen on outside backdoor stuff. They were swinging at pitches that almost hit him in the foot. He is incredibly deceptive and he's also extremely confident. He has no problem throwing 82 mile an hour pitches in the strike zone. So the problem that we're going to see as the book comes out on him. And it's not like, you know, we're over a hundred innings now of this version of Nestor Cortez. So there is a book out on him, but once I mean, he allows so many fly balls that as the weather warms up, there will be homers. And last year he allowed 1.35 per nine. There will be home runs, but the control has improved so much. You know, I didn't, I didn't see him walk anyone um, on, uh, I think it was Saturday. And he just looks like he can throw any pitch as a strike in any count. And those kinds of guys are dangerous oh. because pitcher, hitters cannot try to zone in on something. Especially in American League East and especially in American League, it just seems these pitchers drive some of these lineups nuts. I know they yeah. drive the Red Sox lineup nuts all the time. Joe Ryan did it to them when Minnesota was in. And it's just like, you know, they can hit the velocity, but these guys go with speed and location and can get you thinking about a couple of things. And that's a great point you make about they're just showing fastball slider, but the fastball's location is different. The way it's delivered is different. Arm slot, uh, the sliders have some tightness or looseness. He varies those up a little bit. He's just, it feels like he's making up pitchers as he goes, but he's not really. It does. It does. But that slider, I mean, I see the same average velocity for two years, and I'm like, those aren't all sliders. I know they're not. No. He throws one that's kind of like a cutter that's a little bit faster. He throws one that's like a more of a slurve, and then he's got the standard kind of harder slider. Um, there's three pitches just in that category. So 
I just I loved watching the guy pitch. He's just he's kind of a I think the porn stash does it for him actually. <laughs> I think I think that's the source of all of his power. Yeah, that and he's just making up pitches as he goes. There's still a place for this in this game. Adding it on, taking it off. He just he's he's a craftsman, really. And so he's worth a roll of the dice at this point. You know, the Yankees obviously have some faith in him. And he, I just like, I like that style. Normally I'm not a contact guy. And he's not really a contact pitcher either, despite the low velocity. Oh, no. He gets an immaculate inning Saturday. Yep. So he's got some swing in his miss in his game and he can beat hitters. He's not beating hitters. He's fooling hitters, I guess, is, is the way yes. to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. His stuff is not just going to blow them away. But you see, I, I, I'm surprised the called strike percentage is only 18%. Because he throws those wacky pitches that look like they're going to be two feet outside, yeah. and all of a sudden it nicked the upper outside corner, and you're like, "How?" We need Statcast to come up with a slump shoulder index because <laughs> you, you see hitters when that pitch goes through, and the hitters they just drop their shoulders and go, "What the hell was that?" A step in the bucket index. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. He's. So again, I, I think he's absolutely worth a claim in any format. Yeah, despite the fact, and again, the 2020, 2019, 2018, those weren't great numbers. They were much, very small samples, and they're going to scare you off a little bit. But 2021 was a considerable sample at 93. He pitched very well. He's continuing going forward. There's no reason to believe he can't. And again, this is one of these things. I want to see how this plays out with him on my roster. Absolutely true. And again, a negative FIP, not an XFIP, a negative FIP, negative 0.27. All right, and that brings us to Joe Ryan, who I talked about pitching against the Red Sox, 91-mile-an-hour velocity. He's not throwing very hard either, but he's been very effective. He's effective against the Red Sox, and I'm telling you, these types of pitchers, and I don't like to hang around with them either, but uh, these types of pitchers can give uh, major league lineups in 2022 fits at times. Well, they can because everybody is teeing up, and they see this, this juicy beach ball thing coming in, and they're swinging from the heels, and all of a sudden it's somewhere else. Um, Ryan is, is very much kind of like a right-handed Nestor Cortez. It shows three pitches. Well, four technically, because the curve and the change are both around 10%, but it feels like there's about seven of them. And he was extremely deceptive against the Red Sox. Uh, I was over the weekend as well, I believe. And, yeah. uh, just five base runners, seven Ks, six innings. The swing strike rate is great. So it's not like he's getting the huge called strike percentage. He's actually fooling people much like Nestor Cortez. Um, I don't think either of these guys is a number one or number two starter by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, and as the weather warms up, they will have some games where they, there's a lot of hard contact allowed and they kind of get beaten up. Um, but I think this time of year, when things are cool, I think you can deploy them almost all the time. And as the weather warms up, you probably want to pick and choose the matchups a little more carefully. But I think there's still two-thirds, three-quarters of the time they're deceptive enough to get by. And he's figuring it out too. In the first in his first go around with the twins last year, and it's a small sample size, but he was 65% fastball. That's not going to make it work. That's not what his game is based on. He's not going to beat you with the fastball. Now that mix is a lot more deceptive. He's only 48% fastball now, and he's fastball slider 80% of the time. But again, we're not talking about two pitchers here, and people tend to forget this. A fastball in all four quadrants is four different pitchers. Uh, a slider, the definition of a slider is so wide, there can be little tight cutters, and there can be big, loopy, slurve type of pitchers. We don't score slurves anymore, uh, but they're in there, and you've got a pitcher who can throw, who can take a foot on, take a foot off, loop that slider, or get that slider really tight, and th that's additional pitchers for them, and anything that keeps a hitter off balance is going to be effective. 
Yep. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And these two guys are so similar, uh, talking about them back to back. Um, that's kind of weird, but I think they're both great, great back end options right now. And neither one should be sitting on your wire. All right. Andrew Vaughn, we talked about him a little bit this weekend. Uh, he's obviously a pedigree, uh, prospect and he's coming into his own. It's the matter of how, how much of the power is going to come in, how much, what's the power ceiling with this very exceptionally good hitter. Yeah, he is an exceptional hitter. And basically any player that can come up after 55 games in the minor leagues and put up a, a credible major league line, uh, I think you have to be optimistic about the future. Maybe the future is now already. I don't know. I mean, he's he's come out of the gates like gangbusters this year. Um, the exit velocity, I think, looking seeing 91 last year in a year when he only had 15 home runs playing most of the time, uh, I think looking at the underlying is important. I think they would have given you a real good idea as to what sort of ceiling this kid has and a hard hit rate of 63% in, in the very early going here this year should give you even more uh, of a kind of an idea of what he's going to be. He's still only 24. I don't know what's more stunning. The, the 63% hard hit rate or the 3.6% swing strike rate. I don't know. I don't know which is more impressive. Uh, Both. Yeah. (laughs) They're both really impressive. I mean, a contact rate of above 90% for a kid in his second major league season that's working on, uh, he'll be at 500 plate appearances sometime this week. <laughs> Career. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I think this kid is tremendously valuable. He all would be a great dynasty pick. All that's left here is launch angle. That's the only thing left for him at this point because uh, hard hit percentage is through the roof. Uh, exit velocity, 91 last year, 92.2 so far this year. He's got the exit velocity. And you look at the Bauer rate, it's a little, I, I'm going to use the air quotes, suppressed at 10.9 and 10.5. And that's because he's not lifting the ball that much yet. That's got to come in. And I just think it's a matter of, again, he's such a terrific hitter. That's his calling card. That's what he's centering on. I think the lift will come naturally at a certain point. And once that lift comes in, he gets up around 11, 12% on launch angle. I mean, the roof is off for, power, for his power ceiling. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, this is the kind of kid, he he almost reminds me more of a player from, from my youth, you know, from the 80s, like a traditional number three hitter that just makes excellent contact, has power. He's, you know, a threat to maybe hit 300 with 30 home runs. And we don't see a ton of those guys anymore. How about vintage Joey Votto? Uh, that's a, that's a fair comp. He's probably a little less patient than Joey Votto, but oh, yeah. not by a large amount. But the contact skills and the ability to hit for power. And I'm wondering if we're going to have the same type of conversations that we had about Joey Votto. It's like, geez, be a little more aggressive and lift the ball a little bit more. You, your contact skills are through the roof. I'll give up a little bit in terms of uh, contact rate to get a little power there. I wonder if we're going to have the same type of conversations. Yeah, I was kind of thinking more like a George Brett, but similar kinds of guys, Um, you know, Votto just being sort of the extreme patient version of that. Uh, Yeah, I think that (laughs) the fact that we're talking about these kind of names in conjunction with Andrew Vaughn should tell you what we think. All right, uh, Matt Brash, pretty good start against Houston on Sunday. Two good starts to start the season. Um, Swing strike rate isn't there. Even the chase rate isn't there as much as we'd want, and he's giving up some hard contact. How much are we buying in on Matt Brash? Um, a lot, but not, I'm not as enthused as some of my Mariner fan friends are. I'll tell you that. Um, I I think that they see this guy as, as, as ace level caliber. And I think he has a lot of, he has a long path to go to get there. The control is a problem and it's always 
you just you don't you don't notice it with these guys that come up so fast through the minors because there's basically no reason for them to have bad control. They just try to throw it down the middle in the low minors. Right. Yep. And even that didn't work real well for him. You know, last year in A ball, he was walking five point three men per nine. Yeah. And when, when you can just throw the ball, this is what you wonder about him. Like, and you wonder what's getting in his head at this point because you can't walk five point. You can't walk five point three per nine at that level. Just go at, be aggressive and go at them. And that's going to be what the coaches is in his ear. Coaches are in his ear talking about all the time. They have to, and you know, it's probably some mechanical issue, and he's going to try to fine tune it. You know, we're talking about a guy that has what a hundred and twelve professional innings, so. You know, this is sort of an issue, and this is the kind of player that um, the COVID year, where basically you, you just could practice the whole time if you weren't in the majors, could set him back a little bit and delay his development. I know that he's been impressive through two starts, but you can't. I mean, he's walking six men per nine. You, you you will not survive. I don't care how great your ground ball percentage is, which his is. You're going to allow home runs from time to time at the major league level, and if there's always a guy on base via walk when you do. Mm-hmm. You're just you're not going to be long for starts. It's so enticing because he does have that good ground ball rate. He's got some swing and miss in his game. He absolutely does. And through the minor leagues, he kept the ball in the ballpark. Hasn't done it so far in you know ten innings pitched yeah. Seattle. So it's, it's worthless to even talk about it this at this point. But the, the basics of what we're looking for are there, except for the walks. And the walks is frustrating from a projection standpoint because a pitcher should be able to control his walks. If you're making it to the major league level, you got to be able to throw some strikes, don't you? And so yeah, you wonder if it's just in his head, I, I'm not, I'm not going to throw strikes here or I'm, I'm going to nibble a little bit more than I need to. I don't think so. I think it's just something with him mechanically, mentally, whatever it is that he just has poor control. You know, you, you have to discount the five innings that he threw in rookie ball and low a sure. Everything else, he's had issues with control, and it's just part of who he is. The ground ball rate is fantastic. You know there's going to be swing and miss there. Uh, I know the swing strike rate hasn't been great so far, but there's enough swing swing and miss there that I'm not concerned about it. It will be there. But have the you seen him pitch yet? Everything. Have I you, have not. I haven't seen him pitch yet either. I'm going to go have to look at some tape because it, this sounds like a max effort guy at this yes. point. That 95.8, that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, and I think it is. And, you know, the good news here is that he actually had a really tough schedule at the White Sox and home against the Astros, and that's the performance that we've seen. You know, he's been very good. So I think he's he's got a great ceiling, and sometimes, like Robbie Ray, we do see these guys all of a sudden show better control. Yep. But Ray looks like he could be reverting this year. Guys that have bad control don't tend to all of a sudden have good control. They right. might get to okay control. But they never go from bad to good. So far, the fastball is at 95.8. The slide is at 84.9. That's <laughs> 11 miles an hour in Delta and a fastball slider. Everything here is so enticing. And it just yeah. shows you how important control is and the ability to limit walks. Control keeps you from ace level potential. It does. If you don't have it, at best, you're going to be like a number four, number five starter. Yep. And especially where he's given up some homers here in the majors at that point, if that continues, you combine the walks and homers, that's a big problem. And he hadn't, you know, he hadn't given up a lot of homers so far in his pro career. I mean, it's just a small sample. We don't have much to go on. All we have is the raw skill numbers to go over and it's just a matter of the walks are kind of frustrating, but we have to keep in mind he's 24, right? 24 with the experience of a 19 year old. Yep. 
All right, Patrick Sandoval hasn't given up a run in two starts in the eight innings pitched. Yeah, kind of amazing, really. Um, I love Patrick Sandoval, but again, here's a guy with the problem of lack of control. And <laughs> when you combine a 5.6 uh, per nine walk rate, we're, we're at eight innings. So he pitched four innings twice. Let's not get carried away. Yep. Um, but five walks in eight innings and a 10.5% ground ball rate. That's a prescription for major problems. Yeah, and I'm looking, he hasn't given up a home run yet either. And in, in those home runs, he hasn't been particularly good at controlling home runs to this point either. So when those start to come into the equation and the walk rate continues to be up, then it's going to get bad. Re- it's going to get really bad really quick. It is. And the quality of contact hasn't been great. Um, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. And, and again, we're talking about eight innings, two starts, eight innings. It's it's very difficult to draw any conclusions here. Um, the swing strike rate's down, but... You know, he faced Houston. They don't strike out very much in half of those innings. Yep. So just there isn't a lot of anything to draw on here. Um, He's got a lot of potential. He is missing bats. The walks are the thing. You know, if you start seeing him walk maybe two or fewer men per start, then we're getting somewhere. Um, Until then, he's a back-end guy at best. Yeah, and when you get into these situations with a guy with a little bit of a track record and you've got an outlying performance at this point, although last year was 362 ERA over 14 starts, 17 games, was pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and clo- uh, nine nine strikeouts per nine, close to 10 strikeouts per nine, walks are at 3.7 per nine, that's less than ideal, and home run per nine was borderline at 1.14, I mean, not particularly bad, not particularly good. You see some promise there. This performance so far is an outlier, and the question you ask is why? Show it to me. Where's the gains here? And I don't, I'm not seeing the gains. No, I don't. I don't really see anything of note that's different. Uh, I mean, he's throwing a little harder curveball. That's it. Like everything else, pitch deployment's mostly the same. He's increased the curve and decreased the changeup, but that's about it. Um, you know, I, I when you look at last year, which I think we should still be doing at this level of sample size that we have in 2022. You can live at three and three quarter walks per nine with a 50% ground ball rate and almost 10 Ks per nine. You're not going to be a frontline starter, but you know, the 3.8 XFIP kind of shows you what you're going to be, which is number three, number four starter maybe. Um, and I think that's probably what Sandoval is probably going to sit in the mid rotation uh, if he can keep the walks down to a reasonable level. But if he's up at this level, I don't see him being successful other than in spurts. Well, we're not looking for top half of the rotation starters here in the waiver wire. We're looking for guys who want to undo the good work of our top half of the rotation starters. And it's not concerning, but you talked about his ground ball rate, which helps him out a lot here. And the ground ball rate is ground balls have gone. It's 10.5% this year, 57.9 on the fly ball. He's giving up a lot of fly balls. That's the only significant change I see here. Look at the launch angle. Yeah, 31. Yeah. 31 degrees? I've never seen that before. Well, he's got to be getting some pop-ups there. That's got to be skewing that a little bit. So Home run in a silo. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he has no infield fly balls. Oh, so, really? That's surprising. Zero. Yeah, that's surprising. So this is just a completely bizarre thing where, you know, he's getting shallow fly balls to the outfield that don't count as pop-ups, I guess, because at 31 degrees, the ball's going straight up. Yeah, so that home run rate is going to revert, and if the uh, hopefully the walk rate regresses too to closer to three or three point five or three point three, whatever is going to be for him, because if it hangs around five and the homers come back, 
and then that's, that's going to be a big role. problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. So we're not jumping on P- Patrick Sandoval at this point, unless we've got a couple injuries. It's got to take a chance on, but we're not scrambling to get him on the roster. No, we're not. But I do feel like he's going to be a top 60 pitcher. So I don't mind having him on the roster. I think in most formats, he should be rostered. Uh, this is just really early to draw any conclusions. That's Sky Dombrowski. I'm Lou Blassie. It's the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. It's good if you're working with those outlets to subscribe to us so that you know when the next episode drops. We're not working on a regular schedule at this point. We try to get a couple up a week, but uh, you want to know when they drop immediately. Insideofbaseball.com is a great place to catch up with us as well. All the podcasts are there if you want to listen to some back episodes of it uh, and inside of baseball.com, the baseball blog, check out samples of the uh, write-ups that we give to our subscribers on a daily basis. Lots of player notes, strategy articles, including the coaches meeting, which we just uh, took a sample of here, looking at Adam Hodges pickups for the week that came out on Sunday. Uh, we, you can find us on Sirius XM fantasy sports radio from 11 to one on Saturday and Sunday. Hope you all have a great day. Have some good waiver claims and have a good week too. We'll talk to you next time. Oh yeah. Let's go. Yeah.